This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. This guy's trying to look for excuses, but it really wasn't. Like, I really had a bad injury. I just didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to ruin my, my uh, you know, chances of fighting on such a prestigious card. You know, all the UK athletes on there. And then, obviously, the fight happens, and I was in the changing room. I was kicking. Uh, I was doing my movements, and I feel a click, and I couldn't click my knee back in place. I was like, geezer goes, you got one minute left. I've got this click in my knee. I'm like, what the hell do I do? <laughs> didn't tell no one I kicked the wall as hard as I could click back into place alright Modestus let's walk out hey guys welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast my guest today is the former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion as well as four time UFC fighter uh, with one performance of the night bonus Popularly known as the Baltic Gladiator and more recently known as the Comeback King, Modestus Pekauskas, which I always butcher everyone's names. Is ah, that that's right? That's perfect, Modestus mate. You got Pekauskas. it spot on, mate. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> mate, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting to you. Amazing. So what's, what's, what's been happening today? today? How's your day been? To be honest, today's been a bit of a chilled one because yeah. these last three days... I mean, I had to corner one of my friends, Will, on, on Cage weekend. Warriors on the weekend. Uh, he got the win, comeback win as well. That's why I had a picture it's, uh, with all of us three, like the, me in the corners and, and Will uh, said, Order of the Phoenix, you know, like rising from the ashes. Because again, another comeback victory for him on the weekend, which was amazing. I was elated for that. But then, you know, having to wake up early, six o'clock in the morning for privates and then, you know, training twice again on Monday, same on Tuesday, same on Wednesday. I was literally like jam-packed. I mean, even my, my cameraman uh, was seeing how my day was set up, you know, just literally just non-stop go, go, go. I only had like 
maybe an hour just to sit down and breathe and have some food and then I'm, I'm off again. So today just been a bit of a chilled one. I finished my four privates in the morning and then I've just taken this day easy because tomorrow I'm going to go back to the same schedule as, as, as normal, you know, train again twice a day, a couple of privates uh, and, then, and then straight into the weekend, yeah. So um, I had a few things that I wanted to cover, but actually that's, that's, a, that's a, one of them is what does your normal kind of um, schedule look like when you're not in a camp and then how does that change and how, what does that look like for an actual camp? So if I, I'll, if I just kind of link it towards my, uh, you know, my, my injury, I came, uh, I came back to, you know, full MMA training, no issues whatsoever in about May. And I was literally training as if I was going to compete very soon because there was potential opportunities that I could have come around the corner. In this day and age, um, and, you know, with so many fights able to happen and, you know, so many athletes and, you know, the growing of the sport, um, obviously you need to be ready 24-7. A lot of fighters, you know, can choose, oh, I'm only going to get ready when I have a fight, but then you're going to miss opportunities, especially with the, the preparation, you know. And listen, I want to continue to build my skill set as much as possible. I had a long time to reflect and work on things that I never really got a chance to work on because I was always in a fight camp. So that was obviously very useful. But, you know, essentially the way it is, if it's, if I don't have a fight, if I have to work a little bit more to make a little bit more money, then I will, you know, miss one session because I have to work. And that's absolutely fine because I'm still working on my skills. I like to work on my skills continually. So Every day, you know, at least I'll train once or, you know, if I need to take a little bit of an extra rest, but I'm trying to work on my skills as much as possible. Skill development happens outside of camp. Yeah, that's when you your skill acquisition and your actual learning becomes the most prominent, right? When you're in a fight camp, you're just preparing for an opponent. So you're building skill sets, but specific to an opponent. And obviously, you're, you're not going to you're not going to take away sessions because you've got a private. Like I will actually, you know, stick to my schedule, which is twice a day, six days a week. You know, um, I will make sure that I get as many, you know, as many, you know, good, powerful sessions as I can and probably taper down a little bit on the privates. But, uh, you know, one thing I, I realize with fighting is that you've got to actually, until you start making the big, big money, you've got to be able to make money outside of fighting. You know, and uh, that was one mistake that I made actually in my UFC career, which caused me to take fights, you know, quite quickly and uh, ended up being my downfall. So if there's one, the one certain thing that I can learn is that you've got to be able to fund yourself outside of the fight game whilst you're, you know, try, trying to make it to that big money. So, yeah, essentially, uh, before I, I had this fight booked, you know, I took my week off and then I got back into training, did my twice a day, you know, sometimes maybe once if I had to do some privates and then, uh, but when it gets into fight camp and I have a fight announced twice a day, you know, no messing around. I do, I do, I still work, but I, I prioritize training as opposed to making money basically. Yeah. And, and so, um, in terms of your, if you're doing twice a day, would that be, um, are they like martial arts twice a day or would it? Would you have some gym work, some, how do you so, split the actual day up? So like Monday, for example, um, I'll just give it as like my kind of week run through. Monday, my first session will be with my dad, it'll be like pads, so five, five minute rounds and, and some other technical work that I do with him striking based. Sometimes we get the dummy in and do a bit of like wrestling takedowns, but that's just within my particular rounds. Uh, then in the evening I have uh, an hour of jiu-jitsu and then an hour of MMA or right. an hour and a half of MMA at my MMA gym. Tuesday, strength and conditioning followed by resting in the evening. Wednesday, 
uh, again, would be uh, either jiu-jitsu in the morning or training with my dad. Again, five, five-minute rounds, followed by in the evening, my hour of a jiu-jitsu and then hour of MMA. Uh, sometimes it's a bit more sp- striking-based. Sometimes it adds a bit of grappling, but it kind of just depends on the day. Then uh, Thursday, I usually do my sparring. Uh, I try and limit that to one session. If I feel good, then I'll go and do jiu-jitsu in the evening. Uh, Friday, strength and conditioning uh, and jiu-jitsu. Saturday, uh, would be jujitsu and then some form of running. So most of the time I'll, especially for fights that are going for five, five minute rounds. Um, I do like a long five mile run, but with hills. So you have to run faster. You can't help it. So that would add the the element of, you know, having to up the pace. And, and I normally, whilst I'm running, I'm, I'm thinking I need to up the pace now, then I can slow down, up the pace. And, you know, I try and keep it uh, with the hills and everything, try and put it within at least 37 to 38 minutes for five miles. So, you know, you're, you're trying to keep up a pace that's difficult, but, you know, you, you still got to be able to make make the whole way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so pretty much as you can see, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's mixed. And I forgot to mention on the Mondays in the evenings, like, like I say, the MMA sessions that I do, like on Mondays, mainly based on wrestling, then Wednesdays will be more on striking. So, I'm literally going through every single art as much as possible in in preparation for 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 the fights that I'd have. And and in between those training sessions, what what do you do in terms of of food and sleep? So, my food, what I normally I, I track all my calories. People think it's a bit obsessive, but for me, there's there's no other way because most of the time, again, in a weight class sport, you've got to monitor your weight. So if my weight's good. I keep my maintenance calories, so I eat about 3,500 calories a day, 3,000 to 3,500. Usually I still sometimes cut weight even on that. But then if I see my weights, you know, I want to get it down a little bit, I just lower my calories a little bit. Most of the time it involves like, you know, in the morning, uh, rice, eggs, chicken sausages, um, smoked salmon and something like that. So like a thousand calorie meal because I only really eat like maybe three meals a day and they're, they're spaced out quite a lot because of my work. And then I'll do my training and then, you know, so I'll work, come home, eat, then do my training. Then I'll eat again. Then I go to training again. And by the time I eat again, it's like very late in the evening. So I can't, you know, I don't like to eat too late in the evening either. So as you can see, it's kind of, it's spread, it's spread out in terms of the eating. And like, you know, I may get an hour after teaching or whatever to have a nap. Maybe the nap is very important for recovery. What I notice is that if I'm in sleep debt, which I am sometimes, this can help recover some of that sleep debt, which is very important for recovery. This week, I found it a very, you know, a bit more difficult than normal, just because I've had a bit of a lack of sleep from the weekend. So I'm t- I'm sort of trying to catch up. So today is like my catch up day, just yeah. in from a recovery process. This is one thing I think fighters, you know, when you're younger, you can recover much faster. So this is why they say, oh, you can train three, four times a day and you have no issues. But, you know, as you get a little bit older and, you know, 28 by no means is old, but uh, you need to really watch out for that recovery. And you have to listen to your body, you know. It's not being a bitch if you're kind of like, oh, oh I can't make training. But you you know your body. Like, you know if you're, if you're, being, if you're being a softie, if, if, if you're not making a session, you know it in your own head. So... I think the best way is to feel it, know how your body is. And then, you know, sometimes I've rested and the next day I perform much better. And I would rather that, I would rather have one very good session than a couple of like mediocre sessions because you you need to get the most out of yourself, obviously. Yeah. 
And and um, what about uh, supplementation and that kind of thing? Do you, do you use supplements or you try to get it more from food, whole food? Yeah, it's more, more most of the time I usually get it from food. I mean, I used to have like fish oils and 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 stuff like that. Glucosamine, I've I've uh, I use quite a lot uh, around my knee injury. Um, but for the most part, I don't. In all fairness, I could probably do with maybe adding that in there as well because I know that there's. Uh, some things that you can't actually get all from foods and and the, like i say like mainly it's, it's the fish oils um and and you know like the multivitamins i've always noticed that when i take those i do feel a little bit better my recovery is a little bit better so um good thing you actually brought that up because i think i'm gonna have to start implementing that, that a little bit more but you know if i feel good and i train hard then you know then then it, it seems that what I'm doing with my nutrition is right because, you know, for the most part, I'm able to recover. It's usually when I have a lack of sleep that I don't recover as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, how does that – so, I mean, it, it, you're, you kind of stay in a state where you can be ready to fight. Mm -hmm. But still a short notice for a fight would be, what, two, three weeks, something yeah. like that. So what changes when, you're, when you just decide, okay, I've got to peak? Well – your your fitness always has to be at a level when you're ready to fight so you for, for for a lot of fighters like you should already be near your peak you should already be at a level where you could step like like we're saying you should be able to step into the cage within two three weeks which means your fitness already has to be near the level at least in you know i can tell because i wear a heart rate monitor it's called a whoop strap and uh basically it measures when whenever i'm going to sleep like my resting heart rate and my hrv which is your milliseconds in between each heartbeat it's all for recovery purposes but the when when i know i'm really in good shape is when my resting heart rate's within like the 35 range 34 range so that's when i know i'm at peak like i'm already like i can just maintain that and that's good for me so that's where i'm at right now actually so um you want to you want to kind of make sure that as you're preparing your fitness but to be able to carry out the sessions that i want to do my fitness has to be high anyways because i'm going against guys that are kind of training all the time anyways you know i notice when i'm like really badly out of shape or i've eaten too much and like you know like after my fight you know that week coming back to, you know coming back into training you know because i haven't had a week off for such a long time i just uh, you know thought i'll just relax a little bit more and you come back to train you feel sluggish i don't like feeling like that anyways i used to blow up like you know like paddy before when i was making middleweight you know get like crazy big and then go down and it's, it's just not healthy me personally for the body so you know obviously as long as you perform that's all that really matters but um in terms of the the change they're just a bit more spe uh, specificity i think is the word um in in terms of like my my what i'm preparing to do i have my coach would then tell me what you need to think you need to do in the fight and then that's what i concentrate my efforts on so that's more where where I change if it's like a two three week notice and I'm like okay I've been working all these particular things but out of all the skill sets that I've done now what do I need to channel for this particular fight and then that's what I just take my focus like the pad work becomes uh, opponent focused um, even the jiu-jitsu becomes a bit more opponent focused or you know are we going to go for takedowns what takedowns are we going for and stuff like that so uh, obviously game plan is a, is a big part of the big part of the uh the process but yeah like i say for me it's just an all year round thing and i'm just looking to be a better martial artist all the time george st pierre done that a lot and uh i really think that you know big breaks i think breaks are needed 
to kind of get your mind like reset because sometimes you get overhauled with everything. But I think the more you love martial arts and the more you love improving and learning, the better it is for you as as a whole in terms of your overall experience of becoming a better martial artist, which is essentially what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, so that that actually leads really nicely into one of the other things that I wanted to, to talk to you about was the 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 differences or or not differences between being a fighter, being an athlete, and being a martial artist. Because someone like GSP probably you could say was the maybe one of the ultimate examples of a martial artist. Mm-hmm. And then you got maybe someone like uh, Nate Diaz, Diego, Diego Sanchez, these guys who are, they're fighters. Like if they weren't there, they would be fighting in the street. Kimbo Slice, these, yeah. these kind of guys. And then you've got guys who are, I, I think from watching them, um, maybe someone like Tyrone Woodley, um, who's an athlete. He, he, he seemed with a lot of his fights, you know, when he, when he got into kind of difficulty or deep waters, he didn't do as well as when he could just outperform the, the, the other guy. So do you have sort of um, like, a, like a conscious or even unconscious um, split between those components you know you said okay you 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 want to train and sort of look to be like a a well-rounded martial artist do you think do you think that encompasses everything the 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 athlete and the fighter or do you do you kind of work on any of those things as 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 separate components yeah so the fighter um the fighter part is all mental you know the athlete part is all strength and conditioning and the martial artist is all skill so if you look at it in that particular way, there's some guys who are just very athletic and very performance-like kind of strength and conditioning-like beasts. There's some guys who are very clever, very smart. And um, you know, and there's some guys who just can bite down on a mouthpiece and no matter what you throw at them, they're gonna just be like, you know, they're gonna be an animal. They're almost like a, like a devil in there, do you know what I mean? Like, they, like nothing can phase them. They just keep going forward and they can come at you. So these are all the three components that I needed when you become a fighter. So if you're asking me which which is are the things that are probably, you know, like are the things that encompass me, uh, I think a martial artist is always what... So the part about the skill set is always what I'm trying to improve the most because out of all of those things, what you can fall back on is how good your skills are, you know? So that that is one thing that I've I've really tried to make a, a key point, you know? Tr- I trained a lot of jiu-jitsu when my jiu-jitsu wasn't so good. I trained a lot of wrestling when my wrestling wasn't so good. I even trained a lot of striking, especially as of late, to just change certain things in the game. Yeah, I'm already a great striker, but in MMA, you need to tune things a little bit just to make it more effective for you, just to be able to improve against guys who are going to be, you know, <laughs> like they're going to have certain challenges for you and you need to be able to ob- overcome those. And, and in MMA the game just keeps growing so you have to keep you know building on that but one one side that I think I've probably been working on the most is probably uh to, my strength condition has always been top notch my dad's been a, a key proprietor of that he's, he's been making sure that you know I'm always in really good shape really strong like people like even my last fight I expected my opponent to be much stronger than he was but I think that's a testament to all the strength and conditioning that me and my dad do you know like just the other week I was uh, cleaning squat and pressing 100 kgs so uh on a bar on a barbell and like you know with 240 
kilogram kettlebells, you know, again, clean and pressing five reps, you know, six reps. So th those things, like I know I, I have those attributes. It's the mental side for me, you know, um, the fighter, the fighter part, the part where you need to bite down in your mouthpiece. The guy's trying to hurt you. You've got to give it back to him. Survive. It's not about survival. It's about... And I've actually been working with a, with a mental coach. His name is Julian Van Van Hofen, I believe is his name. Um, but he does things that are a little bit different to to like other people that I've worked with. And it's he uses methods from it's called EMDR, which is stuff that used for PTSD patients to help them overcome traumas. And um, he used that with me, and it just make like for example, my last fight, I just felt so calm in there. I just felt so like although the performance wasn't like exactly what I'd wanted, but we only got to work for a little bit of time to get in preparation for that fight. So it's just like kind of slowly tuning things to make myself like get more at ease with the with the thought of being in the cage and having to compete and perform. And um, I think a lot a lot of it. Um, in terms of like for me i just need to turn on like the the aggressive hunter mindset you know which is yet to be untapped because that's what unlocks me personally my 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 best skill sets in my previous fights when i was younger you know in kickboxing i remember there's this one time uh, i was it wasn't for a title because the kid that i was originally supposed to fight we were the same I think we're the same age, but he was a little bit shorter than me. And the kid basically said, I don't want to fight him because he's, you know, he's a bit taller than me, you know, and like, obviously at that age, I think I must've been like maybe 11, you know, this is an age where, you know, you, you, you're kind of, you're still trying to find your feet and, you know, some people are aggressive, some people are not. I was just the humble, respectful guy. And then put me up with a kid that was the same height as me, but I think he was about three or four years older than me. And, um, I remember the first round we started going and uh, he was hit, you know, we, we, we had a pretty, uh, you know, back and forth sort of battle. But I remember he caught me with a couple of shots where like I, I could see stars and I was like, this guy hits hard. Like, cause I wasn't used to it. The guy's three or four years older. I went back to the corner and uh, my dad was like, yo, is everything okay? Like, you know, how's everything like, you know, how, how are you feeling there? I'll go, like, I was on almost on the verge of tears, but I was like, like daddy hits really hard. And he goes, well, you fucking go back in then hit him harder. Like he got in my face and then the second round, I had him up in the rope. I've actually got it on tape somewhere, like in the archives, but <laughs> I had him like literally in the corner, just like bam, bam, like literally almost finishing him and he pushes me. I, I, I'll go flying because like I say, I'm much younger and then I'll just get back on him and start hitting him again and you know, then it ends the round and then the third round went pretty similar. They ended up giving the decision to the other guy because he was older, but everyone come to me as if I'd won the fight. You know, so but that particular moment stands true to me because that's where the 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 aggressive like hunter mindset came in. He told me you need to get this guy, and I went straight in there. The mindset of not going, you're not going to go into the woods to 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 hunt for a bear, thinking, oh, I've got to defend myself against this bear. You got to think, I'm going in there to kill this fucking bear. Mm. I understand that he's got things that are dangerous. I understand that he could potentially kill me, but I ain't going there scared of him killing me. I'm going in there to kill him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So this is the type of mindset that I have to, uh, which I've been taking on a lot more as I'm going into fighting. So that is the, the mental side is, is like I say, the fighter part. And that's the part where we'll determine who's the best fighter. You've got to be like a lunatic. You've almost got to be like a, 
in 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 a weird sense you got you got to be like a bloodthirsty hound almost like there's guys who can do it like i i, I totally respect the guys that are just you know kind of humble and just do their thing and they compete and they're athletes i can do that but i don't perform my best if i do so i need to be the killer that is when my best attributes come out and uh yeah, like I say, that, that is what's going to come out in future fights for me. Yeah, it's a little bit like, I don't know whether you're, are you familiar with Jeff Thompson? Watch my back, the the, the doorman guy. If yeah. You, if you haven't, I'll, I'll send you a copy yeah, of the yeah. book. It's a, it's a fantastic yeah. book. It's an old book now. You know, I read it a long, long time ago. And I've talked about this on the podcast, so people are probably like, oh, not again. <laughs> but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you quickly anyway. So this guy, he... Um, he had a he had a, like a really terrible early life, yeah. no money, no friends, terrible relationship, being abused, everything wrong. And one day he decided that he wanted to change everything in his life. So he, he drew a little pyramid on an, on each step. He put one of the things that he needs to deal with: yeah. relationship, job, wanted to be an author, started mm-hmm. writing, etc. The top of his pyramid was uh, the fear of physical confrontation. So he went and got a job as a doorman on the uh, door of the worst club in Coventry. This was probably, I don't, maybe in the 80s, like mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. real rough time. And he ended up staying there for like 25 years and being a head bouncer and blah, blah, blah. But he he sort of, from that whole experience and from working on the door, he sort of developed and taught a self-defense system, which was like self offense right. exactly what you're talking about so rather than having a situation where you're there and you're thinking it can kick off if this happens i'm going to do that it was very much more proactive and he developed um this thing called defense where he would always talk to people with his hands out and he would main he would always talk about maintaining this distance and not letting it close and whatever mm-hmm. and where it where it maybe has the parallel is that he would say, you, no one can ever touch the fence twice. So I'm talking to someone and I'm saying, calm down, you know, da, da, da. I'm trying to diffuse the situation. The guy would touch the fence once and I would push him back a little bit to say, you know, let's not do this. Second time you touch the face, you get knocked out. Mm-hmm. It was just immediately go to that kill mode. Yeah. But, but he... When I, when I saw them training and I'd seen... They've got, they had some old VHS videos mm-hmm. of them training and everything they would use that as the trigger to rehearse. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, he would say like it's it's a difficult thing to hit someone in the face. It's, for most people, it's not a normal thing. But you would just rehearse it. So touch once, you're ready, touch again, you get hit. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to think, oh, should I hit this person? I shouldn't hit them, what should I do? As soon as the trigger was, was uh, you know, enabled, that, that yeah. the fight would go. Yeah. And I, I guess it's a similar kind of thing, like mm. being able to... to to build a um, a mental model where you you are able to have that kind of uh, rehearsal where you can just switch into 100%. that mode. Hundred percent, I definitely agree with that. And part of what what we were doing, working on, is just like visualizing because I would visualize before, but I don't know. I guess I kind of didn't know exactly how to how to visualize it. But it's even vi- it's visualizing with a, a particular uh, objective, like. Uh, like visualizing with the objective of as soon as you're walking it's you're on it's fight mode it's kill mode or as soon as your foot touches the canvas that is it that you are going in to 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 storm this guy so it's those um type of things that actually give a sense of like relaxation that you're not the the fear doesn't overcome you 
like because for a lot of people you know the adrenaline and the fear can overtake your performance but you take that out out the way and then and then it's literally just okay let, let's go and do the job let's go and compete and do what i have to do and i'm slowly going to keep building on that and it's going to show my fights and i'm, I'm going to be even better and i remember even before the oleg shaychuk fight in the ufc um that's the fight where i fought the best and and uh, that's where i ha i literally my trigger in that fight was the first kick i threw it missed but I, I tried to throw a psychic spinning back kick the guy just moved out of the way but it's like okay now i'm in the fight so um, you know, the, the, there's little things that, that that are to be worked on, but um, I'm definitely going in the right direction. Amazing. And so, okay, so the, also one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, the UFC is kind of like the, the the pinnacle, right? It's the thing that everyone aspires, I'm assuming, everyone aspires to fight there. And as a fan, as, a, as a, mm -hmm. an audience member, I mean, that's the big show that you watch and, you know, everyone gets excited about. What's it like when they when they you get a call saying, "Do you want to come and fight?" I mean, what's yeah, just take well, me through that kind of well, journey? I'll, I'll take you through whenever I actually got the call that I got to the UFC, and it was a bit of a weird time because I just defended the belt. You know, I wasn't getting the call straight away. This was no November, I think, mid November, or end of November. I just finished the fight. One. You know, this, was the, this was the Cage Warriors. This was Cage Warriors. This is the Cage Warriors title defense. And, you know, my manager said, like, you know, like, you know, just hold tight, you know, like, you know, great win, great performance. And then it got to, like, December, end of December. And I'm thinking, like, and I kind of just kept on nagging my manager, like, yo, bro, like, what's going on? Like, uh, like where are we going to fight? He goes, oh, maybe contender series, you know, maybe you'll have to. He says, but just wait, just hold the phone a little bit. And he kind of just, and that's what he's like. He he does the work behind closed doors. He doesn't say anything, but when something happens, it's usually something big, right? And then, um, so it kind of, I was in a bit of limbo. I'm like, what am I doing? I was kind of like training, but I didn't know what I was doing and, and stuff like that. And always wanting to fight, like, come on, let's like, let's, like, let's get something. I just wanted to get something booked. I just want to have something else to be excited for. And um, yeah, like I remember I went, I, you know, I was in bed and then I had like four missed calls by my manager at like three in the morning. And I like, and he sent me a message, said, Leo, bro, as soon as you get a chance, give me a call. And I was like, at first, I was just thinking, I'm going to take a piss. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to go to the toilet. I'll come back. And I thought, I, I could probably ring him in the morning. Do you know, that's the kind of thought, because I didn't know what was happening. And then I thought, I thought, ah, do you know what? Since I'm up anyways, like, I genuinely didn't think that anything would be would be happening. And then I uh, called him. He goes, yo, how you doing, brother? I'm like, oh, yeah, all good. I mean, it's three in the morning, you know, just woke up uh, to, to, to go to the toilet. But, yeah, other, other than that, I'm all good. Uh, how, how's it going for you? Yeah. He goes, really good, brother. He goes, um, so, Modestus, uh, how do you feel about fighting in the UFC? I'm like, what? I'm like like no way like are you are you like shitting with me like are you for real and then he goes uh nah bro like this is it yeah you're in the ufc i was like I, and i literally I, I, I could believe it but at the same time i was like this is literally like a dream i felt like i was in a dream i was like what the hell the thing that i've been working to i wrote it on the board on my vision board i wrote everything like my plan step by step and i'm like what like you're like no way are you for real bro and he was like, yeah, man, we're, we're like, and I, I just literally was just speechless. I couldn't even say anything. I, I had to thank my manager like a million times. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, bro, this is crazy. And then, you know, obviously I messaged my dad. I told him straight away, like, 
it's mad because both of us were happy. There was, there was no tears because we knew that was the logical next step for me. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. like we knew that was going to happen. But when it did happen, I was just like, oh my God. Like I told my best friend um, straight away. I literally, I, I stayed up the whole day. I couldn't go back to sleep, obviously. Yeah. I went into the the gym where I used to work to see my best friend. And I told him and like, I remember just like, he was jumping up and down. He's like, oh my God. I, like, do you know what I mean? He was just, like mad happy for me. And um, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy experience because like, you know, all the, all that hard work, all that effort, dedication, finally, you've actually achieved your freaking goal. Do you know what I mean? All that had paid off. No one believed in me. No one get, like, no one like, do you know what I mean? Everyone thought, oh, he's good, but he's not that good. Or, oh, he's doing this, but he's not going to be here. Do you know what I mean? And, and I kind of was just like, like, it was, it was a nice little, like, F you to all the people that kind of doubted me all this time. And um, another actually pretty special moment was, um, like following this, I like, I, you know, obviously, so I've got my stepmom and my dad and then I've got my, 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 my real mum. And, um, so my real mum, like she's, she's, she's been very, she's, she's been supportive. She's always wanted me to succeed and do well, but she didn't really believe in the fighting or she didn't believe that fighting could do that. Obviously, you know, been brought up a particular way. Maybe she, you know, she always wanted me to be a, an accountant or something. Do you know what I mean? So that's the way to make money. Right. And then, uh, I got. I, I tell her on the phone. I'm like, listen, I've got some news for you. And she was like, okay. She genuinely didn't know what it was. She and, thought, right, you're either going to say he's pregnant. Yeah, or, <laughs> or I mean, literally, all of her work people thought I was going to say I'm on Love Island or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I came. I came into. I came into the salon, and like all of all of her her employees were like, oh, oh so what is it? Like first person said, oh, you're on Love Island. I'm like, no. And then I go. Uh, so, mum, I've 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 just signed a uh, six-figure deal with the UFC, and for all the others, they were just like, "Oh, <laughs> like is that it?" kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And then uh, and then they they all walked off, and then uh, and then my mum kind of had no reaction, and I thought, "Well, this is a little bit weird." Like I was like, I kind of expect a bit more of a reaction, right? Because you know, for everyone that told me I'd never do it. Like, you know, and obviously not to say that she ever said I couldn't do it, but obviously she didn't believe in the whole fighting thing. And then, uh, yeah, we, we literally, she, she was very quiet, didn't say anything. We walked out the door straight away, burst into tears. So she was just trying to hold her tears. Yeah, She's like, I always knew you could do it. I, I, I always believed in you. And uh, that was a very special moment for me because I think as well, like, you know, not to say that I ever proved my mom wrong, but you know, I always said I was going to go to the UFC and it was always like, oh yeah, here he goes again. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of, this is like literally out of reach. Well, it's not out of reach because I just did it. Do you know what I mean? And obviously for a parent who just wants to look after you, a motherly figure, she just wants the best for me. She doesn't want me to be heartbroken. She doesn't, you know, I completely get that. But when that finally happened, she finally realized that all of my hard work and my skill set is actually, you know, credible. And uh, it was, yeah, that, that was a big moment for me because with my dad, like I said, we knew it was going to, we knew it was the next step. So for me and him, it was, it was less of a very emotional moment. It's more of like a, let's go. When's let's the go. next fight? Do you know what I mean? Uh, and then obviously the pandemic um, happened. Um, but the way that they run things is, they literally got us all on a conference call with Dana White. I, I was on the phone with Dana White, like explained to us what was going to happen during the pandemic. And because uh, I, I was originally slated to fight an opponent in San Diego, which would have been sick. I would have to, I could fight in San Diego, you know, on a UFC fight night card. And then uh, obviously then the pandemic happened. They tried to rebook it for this fight island, which they then explained to us on this conference call, 
which I had to do so many COVID protocols, it was actually unbelievable. Like having to stay in a hotel two days before we left and then having to, you know, all this quarantining nonsense. Like it was a, but it was very professionally done. The UFC made sure they got everything covered. That's why they're the leader. That's why everyone just followed behind them. The UFC was the first one to crack the code. Um, and then, yeah, then I had an opponent pull out on the week, like literally two days before I was supposed to leave. We got a replacement then soon after. And then, uh, yeah, that, that, that was the beginning of the UFC career. But one thing I will mention about the UFC is that they do everything completely like no other promotion. And I mean, I'm not sure what it's like in Bellator or KSW, any of these other big promotions, but for them to have a nutritionist that literally does all your weight cut stuff. You tell them their weight, they give you the food. They will help you make weight. They give you the rehydration stuff. They do all that. You don't even have to lift a finger. They tell you exactly where to go for all your media. They tell you exactly where to go to get all your fight kit and, and stuff like that. They give you bags of, of fight kit every single time. Like it's actually a, like mad how everything's so well organized. And it's just a smooth operation from one person to the next to ha wrapping your hands to doing this. There's no question asked. Um, and yeah, that was literally the most professional of it. I felt like a professional athlete. I felt like... I felt like I was in the NFL or like, you know, or praying for a Premier League football team. Like it was, yeah, yeah. very well run. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, obviously just from a fan side, I've always loved Dana White. I mean, I followed UFC from UFC 1 because I'm, uh -huh. I'm, I'm much older than you. <laughs> so, you know, I remember when it was, you know, on the Indian reservations and, you know, yeah. no sponsorship. 2,000 people watching, you know, Al's Tire Barn is the, yeah. the one sponsor. And Human cockfighting, they called it. Yeah, it? yeah, really. I remember, I remember, you know, going through all of that and Dana White with hair, you know, <laughs> Young and Rogan with hair. And, um, but, you know, the thing with Dana, as sort of um, contra controversial as he can seem, he seems to me through having, you know, watched it over the years, that he is just the the epitome of if you want to look at how to succeed in something, that guy is, it, it's, it's a perfect human mm. being at building a, a sports business or any kind of big business like that. You know, he, he, he doesn't put a foot wrong in terms of doing the right thing for the company, for the fighters, oh. for the fans, you know, people will say, Oh, they don't pay enough or they should do this or they should do that or whatever. But if you actually look at what he does and you speak to, to most people that have actually sort of had involvement with him, you, you get this, the same kind of thing is that they, they just provide everything. They want to get you in there in your best sort of possible shape to put on a show. Oh, he's 100%. a showman, right? A hundred percent. They, he, he does an amazing job and, do you know what? It's just the harsh way of life and the harsh way of business. If you do your job, you'll get rewarded. If you don't, you don't. It's simple as that. That's that's the harsh coldness of the world that people have got to understand. Like, oh, that you know, they're not getting paid. And yeah, okay, yeah, it is very difficult. In the first contract, it's very difficult to 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 make like that life-changing money. It's the second contract that usually gives you the life-changing money where you can make some big moves. But again, Everyone's different. It depends how much traction you bring, how much attention. It's like a salesman, you know, like a, like a salesman. If he if he you know hits all his targets or exceeds his targets, he's going to get rewarded. It's the same thing as fighting. You're a salesman. If you can promote, you can get people to watch your fights. You can get asses in seats. You can get them to pay the money. They you will be and you win the fights. You're rewarded. Yeah. So, you know, 
the the whole thing like he not only does he take care of his athletes covers all their medical insurance and stuff like that so my operation was fully paid for you know and outside of fighting that they, they, they cover obviously there's an excess to pay for particular operations but uh for the most part they cover everything there as well uh, everything very well organized and very well run very smooth and yeah of course the man's trying to make money like he he's rich but what keeps people rich is by trying to make more money so you know he's got to keep his business running and he's got to try and make it as profitable as possible now yeah potentially you could say in in some situations yeah maybe maybe they could give a big bigger percentage but the way I see it now and I understand is that look at the entry level to the sport. Yeah. You look at the entry level to NFL or American bar, like, you know, in basketball, the percentage of people that actually make it is so small. That is why they're given such a massive pay. Yeah. Yeah. They're shown on all TV, but the, the percentage to you to get to that level, you've got to be the absolute cream of the crop. You look at the guys now that, you know, entry level to the UFC. I mean, you've got some guys now that are going in at five and oh, or six and oh, and they're, they, you know, and f- to, for them to get 12 to show and 12,000 to show 12,000 to win, that's like good money for a guy who's only five and oh, you know, relatively new to the sport. So the entry level has now become, you know, it's been, the money has increased for the entry level, but uh, obviously that means more more people are are viable to 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 make it. You know, connections, whatever. Like you know, a lot more people are 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 making it to to that level. And um, yeah, and some people don't even want to fight for the UFC. Some people want to fight other places. So you know, like I say, he he's got the right model. It's it's understandable, and it's the guys that keep winning and keep doing their thing that get rewarded. And and like I say. Um, I used to think, oh, why is the world so harsh? But it's just how it is, man. You, you, the, the only thing you can do is to step your game up. That's the only way you can adapt to this ever-changing and pressure-filled environment. Yeah, it's a little bit like, um, it's, it's a bit of a cheeseball film, but actually it's one of my favourite movies is Jerry Maguire. Okay. Because, uh, have, you, have you seen Jerry Maguire? No, I haven't, ah, mate. It's, put it on your list. Because yeah. I, I, I saw an interview with you and you were saying sometimes in downtime you like watching Netflix yeah, and movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it on your list. Okay. It's, it's Tom Cruise and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And that Cuba sounds Gooding, like a good film if you've got those two actors. Yeah, yeah, so he Cuba Gooding Jr. is an American football player. Yeah. And he's on, a he's on for him, a shit contract. You yeah. Know, Three million for 10 years or whatever. Yeah. And he's just bitching and whining about he should be on a better contract. And Tom Cruise is like the super kind of slick agent. Yeah. But uh, like one night he just has this like come to Jesus moment and he writes this 20-page kind of uh, mission statement about how we're not looking after our athletes properly. And then obviously he goes into the office the next day and they just sack him. They're like, get out. So he... So all his friends stop talking to him. No one wants to talk to him. And Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, you know what? I'm going to go with you. Like the one athlete that goes with him. I won't spoil the film for you. Uh-huh. But it, it's exactly that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you got to just be good and do everything. <laughs> and then the breaks will come. Yeah, 100%. You know, it, I think th- this, is, this is the thing that, that, that I find a little bit ironic is like, if you work for a, whoever, IBM or spec savers or whatever and you just spend the whole time slagging them off oh they're shit they're rubbish shouldn't go there to buy your glasses they're gonna sack you yeah yeah well, it's the same it. thing right yeah, you're 100%. working for a promotion if you're saying oh they don't do it properly they don't look after us they don't pay us properly he's gonna be looking at that saying like this guy's not really good for business at the end of the contract 
probably cut it, right? Yeah. Get someone who wants to be here. I mean, th- this is it. They're, they're, they're talking about there will never be a union for fighting because, yes, yeah, you're a sole contractor, I think, is what you're listed as. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a bit, it's dependent on you. It's dependent on how you, how you want to say stuff and how you want to win your fights. Paddy Pimlet, fair play to the geezer. I mean, he's literally had a couple of fights in the UFC, got so much popularity. And I've met him personally. He's a, he's a very nice guy. But like, you know, he's he almost got finished his first fight. But guess what? He finished the other guy. He came back and he stormed him. You know, second fight, again, similar situation. Got caught in a tough spot, but then still finished the guy. Third fight, you know, a little bit tougher. But again, he looked a bit more like comfortably winning that fight. Again, another one where he, he, he as long as he keeps winning, I mean, his stock's just going to keep rising. Conor McGregor could have lost his second or third fight in the UFC. And trust me, his stock wouldn't have gone that high. All of the talk, all the talk was made for him to be able to get himself in a position to make that much money, but he had to go and perform at the end of the day. Yeah. That also comes with the mindset. He literally genuinely believed no one could beat him. And I think that's another big part of the game. Like I say, you you have to be really in tune with yourself mentally in order to be able to compete and actually be fearless. You need to be fearless in there because a lot of these guys, the skill set, very discrepancy is very small. Most guys can wrestle. Most guys have got jujitsu. And, you know, maybe if they grapple or wrestle 10 times, you know, it'll be like five five times one guy wins. One. Same with the strike and with, with everything, you know, and and uh, and yeah. So 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 when 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 they actually get in there, it's a bit it's about who's willing to put it more out there and who's willing to put their skill set more out there. And uh, that's why it's such a crazy sport. And that's why if you do well, you do your job, you get paid well because it's such a massive risk that you're taking. So, yeah, yeah man. And uh, okay, so so you you get the call, you get into UFC. Um, you, the first fight was the one where you had the performance bonus. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, can't really be much better, right? <laughs> Go in one fight and and get that performance bonus. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, look, I, I was then able to you know like when you're with your family and like you know they they're getting presents for Christmas and for birthdays, and I'm sitting here like broke, like. I'm just going to give you a card, but don't worry. I, I, will, I, I will be able to sort you out one day. Just like, do you know what I mean? My present to you will be, you know, coming shortly. And then I'm able to give like 50 grand to my to my, to my stepmom and my dad, you know. Like that was a big moment for me because I like, you know, I wanted to show my appreciation for all the hard work that they put in, um, like for me and stuff like that. So yeah, it was amazing. When they told me they got the 50 Gs, I was like, what? No way. Like, do you know what I mean? It was a little bit tainted, however, because of a lot of the backlash that came from all this back of the head or then he fell out the cage. And I like, I almost feel like from from the beginning of my my UFC career, like things were already on like a bit of like maybe Rocky Roads in, in, in a way because you know, there, there was all that controversy about that particular shot. And then, you know, people kept on talking about it. And then even other people were, were like talking like, is this legal? Is this that? And like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you got a win. But like, and it's mad because I kept telling people like, I wouldn't have got the bonus if it wasn't a good win. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, but it got people's eyes on it and stuff like that. So that was good. And then, um, yeah, like I kind of, I felt good about that win, but it just made me more hungry to want to get back in there again because I'm like, okay, I did good, but I need to prove myself more because I didn't really get the clean win that I wanted. So it was absolutely amazing. Like I was able to celebrate and, you know, buy Mercedes and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I wasn't able to, in myself, be truly satisfied with the win because it was, 
I shouldn't really care what people think. And right now I really like, you know, I'm, I'm at the peak of not really caring what people think. But, you know, at that point, like you want to create legacy, you want to create moments and memories. And it's like, you want the memory of your fight to be everyone's thinking that was sick. What a great fight. Not, oh, it got, you know, he fell out of the cage mm. or they stopped it prematurely or, you know, got hit to the back of the head many times and stuff like that. So it was a great win. But at that point, I'm like, I need another shot, you know? And then, so then there was three more fights. And so, but the the, the thing, because I think I listened to a, an interview that you did maybe a year or so ago. Um, and you said that you already were kind of nursing that knee injury. Yeah. When did that, when did that first happen? And, and what was it? Because I, I don't know, I think still up till now, you haven't really talked yeah. about it too so much. So three weeks prior to <clears throat> my title defense at uh, Cage Warriors, so this is 2019. Uh, I had an injury in training three weeks prior to the fight. And I thought, oh, fuck, this feels weird. I had a dislocation of my knee before. So I thought it was that. What I didn't realize or I had no idea up until like years later is that I'd torn 50% of my ACL in the left knee. At, and that was three weeks before the fight because I kept on feeling instability. My, my physio, Leanne, distinct physiotherapy, absolutely amazing. Congrats to her, by the way. She just had a baby. Um, but yeah, anyways, she she literally was working. With, I called her at midnight and I said, like, I just had an injury. I've got a fight. Like, I really need this fight. Like, you know, and she was like, don't worry, calm down. Come in, we'll sort it out. And she looked at it and she gave me exercises and we were able to get it to the point where I was able to fight. However, the morning of the fight, I was kicking and I felt instability. Like I, I kept oh, off balance. I'm like this isn't good. So, but this would be would this be on your standing leg or your or the you're standing on leg. the standing the leg? The standing leg. It yeah. kept on tilting to one side. I was like, this isn't good. Right. So I managed to get the physio so good that I never felt the tilting any or the 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 off balance anymore. This is with fifty percent of an ACL. I was like, oh wow! Like now I don't feel any instability. So obviously Jimmy Crute fight, I got caught with a shot. Oleg Shechuk, uh, that fight, which was probably my best performance in, in, the, in the UFC and probably arguably in my, in my whole career as a whole in terms of shots landed and how the hell I didn't get the uh, decision still baffles me to this day, especially with the new scoring criteria um, that they've been having, which damage is the main thing, not cage control, which he had cage control, but I had more damage. So... Uh, it is what it is. I, you know, I don't, I don't hold anything against it. But then, so my knee was was kind of like good, but not like a hundred percent. And also, I haven't even mentioned that I got really bad bursitis. Now, bursas are sacs in your joints to help lubricate and basically protect your joints. But if they become inflamed, they fill up with loads of fluid, and you have about four bursas, I believe, in your knee, and three of mine burst in my left knee before my UFC debut. Yeah. So in between the Cage Warriors fight and that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So this, and this happened three weeks before or two weeks before my UFC fight. So I had a massive bump on my leg. Like I'm talking, I thought it was infected. I was like, cause I felt like weird and it was like hot and I was like, what is going on? And then uh, I called the doctor and they said, no, you just got really bad bursitis. And they said, you need to rest for about four weeks. I was like, I've got a fight in two weeks. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what am I going to do? So I actually asked her, like, what can I do? And then they said, you literally just got to ice the crap out of it and just do physio around it to circulate the blood, which is exactly what I did. I couldn't grapple at all for those weeks. I couldn't go on my knees at all. I couldn't wrestle. So it was a really 
<clears throat> really, again, having to try and figure out how the hell am I going to work around this? And then the UFC, absolutely amazing. They've got physio, people doing physio on there that are doing the massage. You did this bloody uh, therapy with the with the electro, I don't even know what it was, but electroshock therapy and stuff and um, massaged it, done everything he possibly could to get that swelling down. And there was already the thought, should we drain it or should we not? And he goes, listen, and I even called Leanne, my physio. I said, should I drain it? She goes, listen, I don't want to, agonize that particular part because it's already inflamed if it becomes more inflamed you're screwed you really can't fight and i was like all right then so then we just left it and it was still massive like it was, it was still massive but i went in there the guy already saw that it was big he targeted it didn't do anything i still got the finish but to be honest if i didn't finish up that if if that first round would have went to the second i would have been very compromised because the knee was already starting to swell up a lot because he kicked it a couple of times so bursitis you know, going into a fight three weeks before a world title defense, freaking tearing my ACL. I've had all these issues. It's like, it was like doomed almost from, from the beginning, you know? And then 10 weeks out from the Khalil fight, I, uh, I injured my knee again. And this time it was really bad. I had a lot of clicking. I had a lot of instability. Uh, Ed Ingemels would be able to tell you I had a really bad time in training trying to work around that but I didn't tell anyone I just thought you know what this is such an opportunity I thought it was going to be in London I thought this was the end of the pandemic COVID situation unfortunately two weeks prior to the fight they they moved it back to the Vegas which was great but also very annoying because I wanted to fight in front of my hometown crowd I think that would have given me an extra lift you mm. know that I would have needed but um so yeah, I tore both the meniscuses, both the lateral and the medial meniscuses in my left knee, along with about 75% of the ACL. So the ACL tore again, plus the two meniscuses. So that's all the clicking, loads of instability. Couldn't jump from a height onto a platform. Couldn't do any very deep squats or anything like that. And I was just like, but I could, I could train. I could, I could do physio every day. I could kick. I could, I could grapple. <clears throat> you know I, I couldn't grapple the way i wanted to or wrestle the way i wanted to do but i could do what i could do you know i worked around it i didn't complain i just got on with it at this point as well think about the whole ufc career i'd funded off of what i'd made in the fights now after american taxes and all that other crap that goes into it and british taxes and and stuff like that like you didn't get that much from the like i say the first contract you didn't get quite the the stuff that people would think, yeah, my first fight got a lot, but then if you only get the first, like the show money, you're left with not very much, you know, after you pay your management, you pay anyone else that needs pay, and, and you, you know, you. but it held me over for the duration of my UFC career, but when it got to that Khalil fight, I badly needed money. Um, and it, it was to the point where I was too scared to want to try and really like push for privates because I didn't know like, am I going to get it? Am I not? I've got a fight coming up. I need to just not worry about it. I just need to train full time. I need to recover because I've got such a bad injury. I need to focus on this. So I just took, I took the fight. I had to, I didn't want to take time out to recover because there's no money coming in. Do you know what I mean? And I really badly, badly needed it. So, uh, I took the fight, um, in the fight, they, I had an MRI from prior to the fight. I gave it to my manager only after the fight. I didn't even tell my manager that that had happened. Uh, so it probably seemed a little bit, you know, it probably seemed a little bit like, oh, this guy's, you know, after the fight when I'd given it to him, oh, like, you know, 
<clears throat> this guy's trying to look for excuses, but it really wasn't. Like I really had a bad injury. I just didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to ruin my my uh you know chances of fighting on such a prestigious card you know all the uk athletes on there and then obviously the fight happens and i was in the changing room i was kicking uh, i was doing my movements and i feel a click and i couldn't click my knee back in place i was like geezer goes you got one minute left i've got this click in my knee i'm like what the hell do i do <laughs> didn't tell no one i kicked the wall as hard as i could click back into place all right modestus let's walk out and at that point, uh, you know, I had to walk out and do what I had to do. But I fought very, very fearful because I'm not going to put all the, everything onto the knee because Khalil's a very powerful guy. And, you know, the first punch he cracked me with uh, broke my nose. So already from the first instance, I, I was trying to backtrack. I was trying to win the fight back that I was already losing. So I never got into the rhythm. I never fought in the pocket. I never threw down because I was just trying to do what I'd been training, which was staying at range and trying to trying to figure out landing these particular shots. And I couldn't just couldn't do it. Got to the second round, I was starting to feel my way in. My dad was getting ready for, for when it, if it would get to the third round for me to go in there and like, you know, like I told you about that situation with the kickboxing, to throw the fire. And I reckon that would have given me the, the energy that I would have needed to really go in there and land damage on this guy. And because I thought scared that whole fight, to be honest, um, scared for my knee scared for an exchanging with a guy with such amazing power and uh, because it was completely not what I was doing in training, you know? I was just trying to pick off and stay out and come back in and, you know, I should have got myself in the fire more in training, but this is something I learned afterwards. And then, uh, yeah, obviously the thing happened. Both meniscuses tore even more with one of them tearing off the bone and the ACL was 95% torn, literally hanging on by like, t like a tooth floss is what they said it looked like. Because my my physio actually she watched the operation when it happened and uh, yeah mate so obviously extremely compromised coming in even more compromised coming out at this point I didn't know if I was going to get cut or not I was just really just hoping for the best even though I knew in the back of my head probably they're going to cut me because but so so just like a half a step back so you you get kicked in the knee and you feel it go like what. What 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 happens? What goes through your head? Because obviously, like it's the adrenaline of being still in a fight, and you're in a cage, and everything, and all the other stuff attached to it. Oh, you're not gonna make money now, and you, maybe you get cut and everything. Like, does it hurt? Do you you know what's that that hour or that two hours? Because the thing is, like again, me as a fan, you know, we watch this stuff on TV, and it's like not real people. Even though I'm sitting here talking to you, and even though I met, had met you before, it's kind of like, oh, you're just watching people on the TV, and oh, this guy got kicked in the leg. Oh, that looks really bad. Oh, I wonder what the next, how the next fight's going to go. But, but you know, you, you you get kicked in the leg, you feel it go. Like, what what happens in those next couple of hours? Well, obviously, when it when it got hit, I knew it was done. I knew I couldn't get back up because. Like I could just feel it like already just swell up and feel hot and flamey and irritated. I was just like, <clears throat> there's no way I'm getting up. Like, and even at that point for me to try and get back up to my feet, you could land at even more shots as well. I'm like, I know my knee's finished here. Getting back up to my feet, obviously I was, I would have been limping like if I would have, if I would have continued. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, it was just very deep sadness. Like you look at everyone just looking at you like, you look at, like, you know, guys, some of the commentators almost smiling at you, like as if to say like, oh, well, this guy's not all that. You know, you see, they see your dad just worried. You see Bisping actually looking like, 
Like I, I feel bad for this guy. I just hate, you know, I hate, I, and I understand it's just because these people care, which is amazing. But when people just feel sorry for you, like I don't want to be in a situation where people feel sorry for me. You know, I want to be in a situation where I'm victorious, like holding, holding the flame. You know, you've been visualizing victory and thinking about victory. And then you just see everyone just like kind of look at you like, oh God, I can't believe what poor guy. I'm like, I don't want it to be that poor guy. I want to be like, you know, and then having to be walked out on the stretcher and stuff like that. And I just knew, I just knew that this didn't look good. And then do they, do they like blue light you straight into to a hospital to get it all? Yeah, yeah, they, they, but it took ages. I mean, to, we got to the hospital, they took an x-ray. I knew I needed an MRI. They didn't do it. They, they waited to do everything when we got back to when we got back home basically the ufc weren't gonna do anything until i got back to my home country right so it's a bit annoying i was like they said all we can do is put in a brace and you know off you go sort of thing so they took an x-ray obviously no bones were broken um but obviously mri would have shown the the damage that i just explained to you so they put it in a brace um i was sitting there like i just couldn't you know I, i was crying my dad was actually trying to like tell you Modesto be a man like don't cry I'm like I can't I told him I can't help it do you know what I mean like this is it was like literally the worst thing I I felt like I was in a nightmare I thought why is this happening right now why am I sitting here you know Paddy and Molly and all these other people have just won and I'm sitting here crying because I've just lost and like even seeing the other fighters that have lost and you know they're sitting in hospital with other things that needed going on they're crying and you know you don't want to be on that side you want to be on the winner's side no one gives a shit about the losers. They only care about the winners. And that was one thing that was like really heartbreaking for me because, you know, so many visions of success and like so much hype leading into my UFC career and they just got blown up all like right up in my face. As quickly as it happened, it ended, you know? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we, we, and even on the way back, we had so many problems. My, my dad couldn't have, so we, we we ended up going on the plane you know i had the brace you know you kind of get over it you try and eat some food you, you just try and just block you just try and just mist all the bad energy you're just trying to just as much as you can forget about it but you you can't you're still upset you're still down people still came up to me and took pictures and stuff like that but you know i just knew it just wasn't the greatest performance i knew myself that i didn't fight the way i should have if i would have fought and came out all guns blazing and actually like gave him a proper fight then it might have looked a bit different but i didn't and that may that could have even swayed the ufc's decision but i fought like in my eyes i fought like a little bitch that's what i felt like and uh it showed in that you know it, it kind of i was coming back but it needed a bit more of like a like i said the aggressive mindset to come back in there and you know, other people can say other things, but you you know yourself what your performance is like and what you're capable of, which is just annoying because you didn't you didn't perform how you know you can, you know. But yeah, we went on the plane back home and then they're doing all these passenger locator forms. My dad, obviously, he's a bit older and, you know, he doesn't know how to use the technology sometimes. He had the COVID, like the, the, the signatures on the card, but not on the app. And they went mental about this app thing because he said on his passenger locator form that he's vaccinated, which he is. He has the actual card that's government official, right? And they said, no, no, they need to be on the app. I was like, what? Like, come on, man. Like, he's, he's got it. He's got proof. Like, they're like, no, no, no. He's got to do another passenger locator form. To do another passenger locator form, you need another email. So we just sit in there. There's, and there's only half an hour left. They made us go through all that bollocks, yeah, for when we actually ended up getting to England 
uh, they didn't even care about the passenger locate form. So the Eng- American people were going mad about it. And so it got to like five minutes before the, um, five minutes before us like getting on the plane. And the guy goes on, the, the woman goes, no, 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 he needs to do another passenger locate. I'm like, bruv, listen, we're supposed to be on this flight. Like, do you not see like, I, like I'm injured. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm on, cru- I'm on crutches. So I'm on crutches shouting, like going mad. They said, listen, you can go, but your dad's got to stay here. I'm like, so what? You think I'm just going to leave my dad? Uh, I was going mad, like mental. And the woman goes, oh, you've got to calm down, sir. Otherwise, I'm going to call security. What, you're going to call security on a guy on fucking crutches? Like, come on now. Do you know what I mean? It's just like really just, for me, it, I was like, for everything to happen, for now you to make it even worse. Like, do you not understand? Afterwards, we we talked to the uh, the the one of the guys that was like there, and you know we evened it out. He got us another flight. We you know he so got, he missed the flight. We missed the flight. Yeah. Fucking so he gave hell. us extra seats and every. And I had an MRI an appointment the next day. I told them this. They didn't give a crap. All they cared about was this bloody passenger locator form. I even showed her the. I told her the fight what I'd been in, and they still didn't care. Um, but anyways, and then uh, yeah, so. We had to sit down afterwards and just like, I calmed down. I talked to the guy. I said, listen, we've got you seats on the flight tomorrow. I've got the seats covered so that you have four seats to yourself. So he was very nice. He sorted us out. But still, we missed the bloody flight. Yeah. And I missed my appointment at the doctor. Yeah. Um, and I had to call them straight away to, to rebook it. Luckily, we did. So slowly, things were starting to get better because then afterwards, I was able to, um, you know, I sorted out my dad's passenger locator form. Uh, we ended up getting a hotel. Uh, we just stayed the night, had a couple of beers, had some nice food, just chilled. And then the next evening, we uh, basically went back to London. And uh, yeah, by the next by the next couple of, I think I got an appointment two days later. Went to go see about my about my leg. Found out that even the doctors were like they thought it was going to be way worse. They thought the ACL would. Oh, I also forgot to mention that the MCL was completely torn as well. So they thought that the ACL would be completely gone and like that there would have been bones broken and stuff like that, but it was actually better than they thought. However, it was still bad. Um, We got the operation done and uh, I think the week later, the week after, and it was a 35 grand operation. Um, They put synthetic ligament in my MCL, my ACL, and they put uh, my hamstring as well in the ACL. So I've got synthetic ligament plus my hamstring in my ACL right now along with synthetic ligament on my MCL. So technically that's already twice to three times as strong as a normal ligament, just to make sure that it stays in place because normally ligaments don't take very good the second time or the things that they put in, it doesn't take quite as well. So the twisting, turning, everything that you need to do in MMA wouldn't have been as good, but they knew that it needed to be. So that's why obviously it costs so much. So they added all of these things. Um, and they had to screw my uh, meniscus back into the bone. And uh, there's still screws in my knee right now, actually. Um, and yeah, they... Do, do they stay the screws? Yeah, they're, they're, they're just like, I don't know, they're not, they're, not, they're not metal, but there's some sort of material that's within your bone. Right. Stitched the meniscus back up, t- took out some of it. So now my knee's like, you know, like I'm, I'm call me the Barnic man, but um, honestly. And, and yeah. so I watched your, yeah, the video that was up on um, yeah. Insta, your kind of comeback. Yeah. So, so what, what, um, what sort of rehab? Because you said basically your knee feels now better than it's been mm. f- either ever or certainly for a long time. How did you, what, what did your rehab look like? What did you do to get back to that kind of 
fight shape. Again, Leanne was very good to to make sure that, <laughs> that I had the um, appropriate, you know, methods in order to get myself back. But it was a very slow process. I had to have a second operation, actually. So that's, that's why, again, it costs so much because I think it would have been about 25 grand, but they had to add another operation to remove... Uh, I can't remember what the name of it the name of it is, but it's like some buildup of inflammation within the knee because it, it was like literally a four-hour operation, yeah, where, or four or five hours, and my my physio saw it, she says the most intricate, most crazy operation she's seen in her life, literally freaking things flying around everywhere. She said, I've never seen anything like it. She said, the amount that they did to your knee was insanity. They, She literally thought like, they were so professional. So that's why they're the best doctors in London at Harley Street. But they're like, she was like, what the hell? This is, there is a lot going on here. But that's why when I woke up, I literally, the first thing I said was, I need more painkillers because it probably the most painful operation I've had in my life. Usually when I wake up after an operation, you feel loopy, you feel good. You know, you go on some freaking morphine, you feel you feel all right. This one, mate, I swear to God, I, I, I just wish I could go back to sleep again. It was that painful. And I just told them, give me more. And uh, they gave me more morphine. I actually went back to sleep and then woke up and it calmed down a little bit, but it was so painful. Um, But yeah, so it was a very slow process, mate. It's just like very simple. Mate, I was on crutches for a while. I couldn't put any weight on it. And then they said, slowly put weight on it. Slowly put weight on it. Still using the crutches, slowly put weight on it. And then after about four or five weeks, I could finally just start walking on it without the crutches, but I couldn't drive yet. There was like, it was just like a very like kind of, you start walking, like walking, then, you know, running was like, you know, of months in that I had to wait. But I tried doing little exercise just with my toes, with my, my ankles, my everything, just trying to like tense my leg and just these weird tensing exercises. And I couldn't even do the exercise for like a couple of weeks. Like she, she waited for my physio to like, do you wait, wait for the swelling to calm down to actually start doing any of the physio? But it's, it's a very slow day by day process. Me sitting in my freaking room with a, with the UFC provided me with a, um, it's called a game ready, which is like a compression ice thing. And that was very helpful because it helped reduce the inflammation like tenfold. But in it's still, you're sitting in bed in a, with a freaking massive cast on your knee thinking what the hell is going to happen next sort of thing. And um, so so then uh, I was going to ask you about throwing a kick, but maybe running is the same. Like, How does it feel when you, the first time when you run? Oh, mate, I think the first time I was... It, because it's, it's a is a is a is a process. I had the second operation, so I had the first operation in September, the second one in December, and then after the second operation, that's when I started seeing bang. Oh, we've got the recovery now. Now, now, now we've sped up where I should have been because I couldn't get full extension on my knee. That's right. that was with the issue. So I was doing everything good. The legs, the muscle around the oh mate, I lost so much muscle on that knee. It was crazy. But I started building it back up, and then when it got back to uh, when 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 you know it got to that uh, to the point where I just couldn't straighten my knee, I couldn't get a full extension. I'm like, what's going on here? And then they gave me a special machine to help with it. They did the second operation. Then I used the machine, and then slowly, when I got that full extension and I could like you know do these, I was doing exercises to do step ups and like lunging type motions, but I still couldn't run. I still couldn't you know do things that I wanted to do. But it was slowly but surely building, 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 building. It's literally, mate, a day-by-day process. It was like literally I couldn't rush nowhere. I just had to do the physio every single day, freaking depressed, like 
sad for no reason. Look, well, I would not say for no reason, but I was always sad. Like I would get happy and then I'll get upset. And then the only thing that will keep me going is like just trying to be motivated about, oh, this is going to get better. We're going to come back. But then you'd slowly dip into, I'm fucking just got cut by the UFC. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've got a really bad knee injury. Like how the hell am I going to come back? What am I going to do? Like how long is this going to take? You didn't want to enjoy anything. It's like looking at a picture that's, got no color in it that's what my life felt like i felt like i was just going day by day and i was just literally just a waste to everyone and everything and like a waste to myself even the dreams that i had for myself you see other people succeeding you get bitter about it it's like i shouldn't feel bitter about other people succeeding and i should you know i should be wanting these people to succeed but i can't because i'm it's not happening for myself so yeah mate is it was a process when i first could run and i could first could like you know it was a long time before I could throw a kick, but it, everything just slowly went. I could start kicking in the air, then I could, like, you know, run on the beach and, and stuff like that. Like, where as things got better, I just got more and more confident. My physio told me to hold the reins a load of times. She said, Medesis, why the hell are you freaking doing flips on your head and crap like that, Medesis? You need to slow the hell down. Like, don't go. When I could first do a wrestling shot, that's when I knew my knee is good. When I could wrestle, like, a wrestling shot full pressure on my knee i'm like i'm good to go so that's when i knew like you know and i could do spinning kicks and stuff like that. that's when i knew okay I'm, I'm recovered and by about may time i was already looking for a fight i'm like i've been training like normal all the jiu-jitsu all the wrestling i have had no issues no instability issues and i feel great i'm good to go but it's a very slow process but it was a very fast recovery not only was it because of all the extensive stuff that they did on my knee it was also because i had extreme determination and grit and a great physio in order to get me back to that level i just i did the physio every single day without fail some people oh yeah i could have sat there been upset and not done the physio but i sat there was upset and still did the physio that was the only thing that kept me happy that was the only thing that kept me going is that this is the road to recovery but every time outside of that i felt like crap so it's kind of like your your same process <laughs> as normal right that's your training mm, today yeah. the training is physio tomorrow yeah. the training is physio exactly yeah and i tried to keep myself busy do social media but even that wasn't as fulfilling as i i would have expected but that was the only thing to like like i said just keep me going I, there was often times that i'll drink my and you know drinking is not good for inflammation which is obviously you know but i just wanted to escape the real world can i just escape the real world for half an hour hour can i just you know not feel like the way that i'm feeling can i just get away from this situation so I, I i would drink a lot when when i was just in my bed just like nights just like drink drink get drunk go to sleep you know and uh after the second operation i kind of stopped doing that quite so much but i ended up getting into a little bit of a habit where i drink a bit more than i needed to but then as soon as i got back into like i'm getting ready for fight training that kind of cut out so i'm kind of glad that i've had the de dedication and commitment over the course of my life in order to be able to stop myself from performing bad habits because I formed the bad habit whilst I was recovering, but as soon as it got to crunch time, I cut it out straight away. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was a very difficult time, man. People don't really understand the darkness that goes with having an injury and being cut by the UFC all in all in one go, your dreams being shattered, people forgetting who the hell you are, not giving a crap about you. You realize who your true people are as well. Yeah. I only had a couple of people that were my real close friends that actually came to my house to check up on me. Uh, you you realize that a lot of people aren't your friends. Um, you realize as well that in life you need to be you need one of my really good friends and training partners, Will Curry. He actually explained this to me. 
yes, you've got to be polite. You've got to be courteous. You've got to be, you've got to have that gentle side. You've got to be caring, but you've got to have the dark side. The dark side is something that everyone has that everyone who's successful or does well in life needs to unlock. Otherwise they never get there or in life in general, you'll complete, you'll get fucked over all the time. If you don't unlock your, like I say, it's like Voldemort and, and you know, freaking Darth Vader, like those guys are way too much in the dark side. They're like the too arrogant, don't care. That's why they get overthrown. But you need to have that because that gives you the aggression, the uh, the firepower, the commitment, the dedication, the the grit, the every like the killer instinct. These are the things that you need in life, not just in your fighting career. You need that in life in order to be somewhere or something or somebody. You need to have. This is what these dark times have taught me. I taught me they're not, you know. I've got to, I've got to realize sooner or later that me being too nice is what overall gets me in trouble or gets me in a bad situation. And I will always continue to this day to be polite, to be the man that I've been brought up by my dad, by my mom. You know, I will always continue to be that person. I'll be humble. But when it comes down to comp competition, when it comes down to getting something that I want or that I need, I've got to understand that people are vicious, people are nasty, and people are going to want to take that away from me. And I've got to make sure that I've got one up on them. So it takes an injury like that to realize those things in life. And I've got people that are very close to me. And luckily for me, the people who are close to me that I knew from day one have stuck by me. Mm. But I have had to cut out you know, certain, you, you, are you able to erase those people out and you, you just know, you just know that they ain't there to be your friend. They're just there for, for something else. And it's like, okay, cool. But I understand that now. Yeah. I realize I can't associate myself with you. And, uh, like I say, again, funny enough, Will was one of the main guys that actually came to my house to check up on me as a fighter, mm. as a, as a friend, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, man, it's been a crazy journey. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bit like, um, the, 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 the saying which I think is misunderstood a lot, which is that charity begins at home. It's exactly that what you just, you know, uh, talked about is exactly what it means. Like you have to sort yourself out first. Once you are not having to draw things from other people, you can help them. Yeah. If you're standing with your hand out saying, I, I need some help, you're not really any help to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, th I think... That's that. It's it's a common thing that you see with people who are successful in their lives is that they do exactly what you did. They they they. Everybody has adversity, right? Everybody has things that they go through, but they take really important learnings from them, and then come out the other side and say, "Okay, well, my knees are fine now, but I actually now built this other thing into my arsenal, which is understanding about the dark mm -hmm. side, the light side, all all of this kind of stuff." So, so going forwards then, because that brings us more or less up to date, right? You, you, you're healthy and, you've, and you fight in uh, Cage Warriors, comeback fight and win. And, and we're up to pretty much now. And then you said you've got another fight booked? Yeah, so I'll be fighting for the light heavyweight title again on New Year's Eve on the Team Europe v Team USA card versus Chuck Campbell. So uh, it's a very big moment for me because... I would have been the, I will be the first and only guy to have vacated the belt and then won it back again, you know? So I vacated the belt. No one's won it since. Um, you know, I had a, I had, I had an opponent turn me down uh, a couple of times that this guy fought. 
that is now uh, that is now one American guy. He asked for the belt. I said, look, I just beat Lee Chadwick, amazing fighter, hell of a guy. I, I really like him. I had a chat with him afterwards. But um, yeah, unanimous decision victory. So a clear win. Um, you know, in a comeback fight where he's ranked 80 in the world, I'm ranked 55 in the world. So a top ranked worldwide guy. Just fought in the PFL and won. Fought in Bellator, three wins, three losses. So he's a very high level guy. And uh, yeah, so... I said, you know, I'll call for the belt. So now I get to fight for the belt again. I'll get the belt again. And then guess what? Sky's the limit. UFC has definitely got to be knocking on the door after that. Beautiful. So that's New Year's Eve. Yeah. So no partying New nah, Year's Eve. No, no. Uh, well, there'll be a hell of a lot of partying on <laughs> New Year's Eve. What, but what time do you fight then? Well, I'm not sure how the event will be run, but I'm pretty sure it'll be around 10 o'clock. So uh, it'll be kind of a co-main of main event. I'm not 100% sure. Um, so you still get to pop the corks at midnight a hundred percent mate, oh, mate. Be, the, when the fireworks i'll be making the fireworks for everyone, do you know what I mean? coming around with the belt giving it the billy strut do you know what i mean so uh and then obviously uh christmas i'm gonna have to kind of just shove to the side you know I'm, i'll be that'll be my weight cut week so yeah. it's a little bit of a shame in a sense that you know it's supposed to be a time with fat like it would be with family but it would just be with my dad so in a way i kind of like that it gives me like rocky vibes when he's out in the freaking mountains it's like that's what i feel like with my dad you know and it's good we, we've got a very good relationship so um you know it'll be a nice time to reflect and just get ready for what is about to come and i, I do believe that will will probably be around me during my fight week anyways so because he came and done he came to my house during fight week helped me train helped me be in a good mindset like i say talking about this all this intricate stuff me and him can talk for ages you know just like and then i helped him for his fight week as well so it played hand in hand we've created a very good friendship and now i believe that's what we're going to do again for this fight as well hopefully he'll get a fight on that card but we are yet to know about that amazing also i signed contracts literally about two days ago so this is literally very fresh so it's very exciting fantastic so um is there anything else that's going on for you at the moment that you want to talk about or that brings us right where we, so, where we need to be i mean this whole experience this whole journey i've actually got my friend here um ben uh absolutely amazing guy i mean the balls for a 21 year old kid to just ask one of his fight, one of the fighters that he's been following, a guy that you know that he may may look up to, or you know that he's been following, to ask him on on Instagram, like, listen, I want to do a documentary on you. I want to I want to do some video work because he's pursuing his career in in videography. To be like, listen, is it okay if I come around your house and or like you know, is it okay if I come to London to film you and and then you know, for him to do that to to chase his dream is very inspirational for me. You know, Beautiful. so. Uh, I've got to give him a massive thank you because, uh, you know, he's helped, not only is he helping me out a lot and I'm glad that he's able to help him out a lot, but like I say, the guts that you got to have to be able to do that, that gives me inspiration to go into my fights and have more guts and have more of that firepower, that the intensity that I need to, to go and bring out my best performances. I've learned a hell of a lot of lessons, um, over these past couple of years, things that, things that I kind of, you know, 
I look at some of my friends and I look at some of the people that I know and I'm like, you know, and I know that they're not there yet. And I'm like, you know, it will be quite a crazy moment when they also learn these things that I have learned. And I know, you know, some people have different views and, and stuff like that. But in the particular career that I am in, you've got to be all out and you've got to just be yourself and be stay true to yourself and just be eccentric, be who you want to be. You know what I mean? If there's any message that I can give to people, it's like definitely just like don't care about what anyone thinks or anything like that. You've got to be you uh, and fully embrace it and go in to the fire with no like literally there's fire right there walk straight into it do you know what i mean there's a dark room or or there's wolves in there walk straight into that be the boss own it and go and do your thing and this is what the the mentality that i'm going into for my next fight i'm going in there i'm freaking like i say billy strutting about i'm going there i'm gonna be 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 elaborate. I'm going to be crazy with my movements. I'm going to do what it is I'm supposed to do and go and freaking fight. You know what I mean? Go and put it the pressure on this guy. You know, um, these are just things that like, and also I think if there's anything to learn about this whole situation as a whole is that anyone can come back from adversity. Uh, I'm no, I'm not special by any means. I've failed many times in my life. Uh, I wanted to be a tennis player. I wanted to be a basketball player. Those things didn't happen, you know. I wanted to, you know, be a champion in the UFC within the first year. That didn't even happen. I got cut from the UFC and I'm still coming back. I've just won my first fight back in Cage Warriors where no one thought I was ever going to come back. Literally, I had people message me two weeks before that fight happened telling me, oh, you, this guy is never going to come back. He's, he's finished. His career's over. And then I go and win a fight. And it's just like, so where's all these comments now? I've literally just shown that I've, you know, it's just to show that, you know, you can come back from 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 any adversity. It is very possible. Um, I'm not I'm not supernatural. I just work freaking hard. I've got a lot of dedication. Um, and that if anyone's in a bad spot or you're depressed or you're in you're in a bad situation, just know that that hole is is not meant for you to 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 stay in. You can come out. You can climb out of it. You can come out on top. You just got to have good people around you. And every day, just keep focusing on getting yourself better and getting yourself out of whatever situation it is. Just know it will get better. There is the light at the end of the tunnel and you just got to keep pushing forward and really hold true to what it is that you want and just don't let anyone get in the way of that and just keep fighting for it. And that's what I've been doing. I've kept fighting for it. And um, I know that everything, all this hard work, all this effort, all this dedication, all this commitment, all this heartbreak will will mean something in the end. And uh I think there there'll be a true a true statement of me being the comeback king once this is all said and done. Yeah, beautiful. I think that you know that's um, we've we've talked on the podcast a few times about kind of mental health issues and depression and anxiety and things like that. And I think that's a it's a really uh, inspirational and good um, real world illustration of being really down and and getting yourself back up again and I think you know what you said is exactly right whatever hole you are in you, you can you can get out you just got to keep taking a little step a little mm, step a little exactly. step and then you know then you get a fight on New Year's Eve for a belt and you know the fireworks go off that's it that's so it. Um, where can people follow you and get in touch so uh, on Instagram it's I've been trying to change my Instagram name for ages I don't come on Instagram there needs to be something that uh, that'll get sorted about that but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping by the time I get rich and famous I'll be able to change it to wherever I want but uh, it's M-O-D-Y-B-24 on Instagram that's my main page at Baltic Gladiator on Twitter 
Modestus Picascus on Facebook and uh, on YouTube I have my own channel which I'm going to be revamping with the help of my friend uh, but again Modestus Picascus on on YouTube and uh, Ben are you have you got some socials oh, I've got my ones. oh okay <laughs> so we'll be on the YouTube we'll yeah, be able yeah. to see all the uh, the video work on, yeah. the, on the YouTube channel yeah fantastic thank you very much for coming down I really appreciate it and I really appreciate the 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 the, the genuine conversation as well because yeah. you know I think a, a lot of people again they, they can be a little bit cagey and they don't actually want to go into details about things and I, I think you know the one thing that I've learned A through being 50 years on this planet but B through listening to Rogan and these kind of guys is that people they they resonate with authenticity if you're if you're you know authentic and you're honest and you speak from the heart and you you know you you share with with other people you know in a genuine way i think it, it resonates with people so hopefully all you guys who listen to this you had a you had a good uh, good hour and a half of your life <laughs> go back and listen to it again <laughs> you'll learn some probably some more little gems that you missed the first time around and uh, yeah, follow the uh, follow the podcast. We're on Instagram. It's White Basement Pod, and um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like I say, it's been amazing talking to you. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for the road ahead. Beautiful.